Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Have you ever known that there was something that you were supposed to do and that you didn't do it? Maybe you you put it off or you procrastinated and then eventually that thing caught up with you. We all done that, haven't we? You know, since the beginning of time, God has allotted each of us a certain measure of time. And he warns us not to take that time lightly. We shouldn't do that. Unfortunately, there are people who don't put any importance on time. Many people have seen and heard the coming warnings and predictions of Christ's return. Many of these people begin to scoff at the idea that, that Christ would actually return. And as much as they would like to delay and deny the truth, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And so, if you will, will you turn to Second Peter uh, chapter 3? We're going to look at verses 3 through 10. Verses 3 through 10. Now, Peter is writing to the church of Rome, and it's somewhere between 62 and 64 A.D. He's writing to the churches of Asian Minor, and he has this concern because some heretics are beginning to infiltrate the church, and they're beginning to whisper in the ears of these young, immature believers. And so his concern is for, for them to hold fast to the teachings of Jesus so that they'll be prepared for the coming apostasy. Listen to what Jesus, excuse me, what Paul, what Peter has to say. This is now, beloved, the second letter that I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of a reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets in the commandment of the Lord and our Savior, spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, scoffers, will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has from the beginning of creation. But when we maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Through which the world at the time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. And the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Several places in the Bible, it talks about the, the end of times and in the future, there will be this period and it's going to be called the, the last days. And the Bible warns us against speculating against times and seasons and dates because no one knows of such a time but God alone. But it says that in the last days that scoffers will come. The scoffers will appear in the last days and there'll be doubters. There'll be skeptics who will say, oh yeah, where's God? 
We've put man in outer space. We didn't find God and we didn't find his angels. They will scoff at the very idea of a future judgment of Christ's return. They'll laugh and they'll mock and say, it's been 2,000 years. Where is God? The reason, Peter says, that they'll become scoffers. It says right here that following after their own lust. That these scoffers will be walking after their own lust, their, their evil desires. See, they really don't want Christ to come. They don't want Christ to come and interfere with the way that they're living. And they cannot accept the idea that God would righteously judge an unrighteous people. And we see this today that it is false thinking that everybody goes to heaven. Despite what you believe in and how you live. It's in the last days that we're already seeing an increase in scoffers today. Social media has created this platform where anybody can scoff at the ideas of God. Colleges are, are raising up people now who are educated beyond their intelligence. Isn't it true? It is true. This new lost society today uh, are producing scoffers and, instead of thinkers. These scoffers are testing God's moral boundaries they try to redefine morality. They try to say, what is marriage? What is not marriage? What is a male? What is a female? Many times, scoffers will hold the science much higher than the truth of God's Word. And the problem with that is, without Scripture and without God's Word, man loses his moral compass. It's hard for him to tell what's right and what's wrong, what's truth and what's a lie. But later on, the Bible says that we'll have procrastinators. Verse 8, it says that, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. See, in the last days, there, there won't just be scoffers, there'll be procrastinators. They too aren't really looking forward to Christ's return. They become quite comfortable and quite satisfied with religion. Oh, they're convinced that, that Jesus will one day come, but it's so far in the future that it's really of no emergency. But they even know that should Christ appear, that they're not ready to beat him. And they're much like these people that Jesus describes in the next parable. So if you will turn to Matthew 25... 1 through 13. In Matthew 25, Jesus continued a conversation with his disciples in chapter 24. He's on the, the Mount of Olives, and he's telling his disciples what to expect in the last days. It's one of the few parables that Jesus did not explain, but he uses the imagery of a Jewish wedding to get his point across. He says, at that time, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamp. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they had all become drowsy and fell asleep. 
At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were already winning with him, the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour in which is appearing. Now, we all know the importance of being prepared, don't we? We prepare for things in life. We prepare for college. We prepare for our jobs. We prepare to raise a family. And we prepare for retirement. But one of the saddest things in life is that people fail to prepare for the most important thing. And that's to be prepared to meet God. Now, you know that because we are created in the image of God, we were designed by God to to live eternally. And contrary to popular belief that that we won't spend most of our life here on this earth, one day we'll die, we'll, we'll leave this body, and I promise you, it'll come faster than you ever thought possible. It'll come faster. And we'll either spend eternity in a place called heaven, forever with God, or we'll spend eternity in a place called hell. Forever separated from God. Because the Bible teaches us that eternity is long and life is short. So we need to be prepared. Now in this parable of the ten virgins, it represents two groups of people. Five were wise. Five were foolish. Five were prepared. And five only thought that they were prepared. Now, one of the things that you'll see as I go along today is that they had some things that were very similar. Here are some of the things. Ain't gonna work. One of the things that they had in common was that they were all part of the same wedding party. They were all virgins. They all had lamps. They all had the the same intentions. And they were all gathered in the same place. Yet Jesus said that five were wise and five were foolish. Today in churches, we have the same. We have those same types of people in church. We have the wise and we have the foolish. We have those that are prepared to meet Christ. And we have those who only think They are prepared to meet Christ. We notice when we look at these scriptures that that they were part of the wedding party. All ten were part of the same wedding party. They all had received the the same invitation. They knew that eventually that, that this wedding day would come and they were looking forward to it. They were, had this anticipation. They had this good intention of attending the wedding festivities. Today, when we get a wedding invitation, we get it in the mail, don't we? We get a little card as a save a date. Today, many people have been invited, has gone to church. They've been invited to the same wedding in heaven one day. 
They've heard messages and preached by pastors week after week, sermon after sermon. Oh, they have good intentions of one day RSVPing that, hey, I'm going to come and, and I'm going to come one day. That's their plan. They know that, that they need to respond, but time is slipping away. One thing that we noticed they had in common that they were all virgins. Now, virgins in the Bible represents purity. It represents goodness. These ten virgins had a great reputation. They were known for being good and pure and moral people. They lived a respectable life and they were known to have good character. Yet Jesus said, five were wise and five were foolish. In the same way, we have those people in our churches today. They're good people. They're in church every Sunday. They don't cheat on their spouses. They, they don't cheat on their taxes. They're well known for being good, hardworking, decent people, respected by their family. Some are even pillars in the community, yet they are not prepared to meet God. Said they all had lamps. Said they all carried a lamp. In the Bible, a lamp always represents God's word, his truth, or even a profession of faith. All ten of these versions have been exposed to the word or teaching of God. They probably even knew some scripture, could memorize it. They may have even told other people that they carried the light themselves. In the same way, we have people today that's heard the truth of God's word. They've listened to hundreds and hundreds of sermons. They've raised in the church, maybe walked an aisle. They said the sinner's prayer. They, they've given their uh, life to Christ, supposedly, had a profession of faith, and joined a church. But they've never truly, they've never truly repented, and their life looks the same today as it did yesterday. It says here that the thing they had in common was they all had the same heart. They had the same intention was to be ready one day. They had the same purpose. They, they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. They had the same intention. They, they wanted to be a part of it. They may have even talked of his coming among themselves, at least for a little while. Likewise, today we have people who have the same purpose. They're, they're waiting for his return. They have every intention of one day going to heaven. They talk about Jesus from time to time, mostly on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, the name of Jesus never crosses their lips. So you can have every intention and you can have every desire to go to heaven. But good intentions and having desire won't get you there. Jesus says that you must, you must be born again. If you notice here that they were gathered in the same place, that, that they all woke up. When the bridegroom actually arrived, they, they were in this same place. And I would imagine they probably went to the same synagogue together. Heard many again, the, the same sermons. They probably faithfully served in some of the same ministries there. Likewise, today, we have the wise and the foolish gathered together too, don't we? We have them gathered. Maybe they, they sit on the same pew or the, the same row week after week. They're sitting with their friends. They enjoy associating with like-minded people. They're happy and satisfied to be part of something good and something special. 
The problem with that is, is that association never equals salvation. It just doesn't. At first glance, you would be hard-pressed to, to tell these ten apart. When you look at them, they, they kind of look the same. They, they were all part of the wedding, same wedding party. And they were all ten virgins. They all had a lamp. They all had the same intentions. And they were all gathered in the same place. Again, five were wise and five were foolish. But there was a difference. It says in verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him, and the wedding banquet in the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the hour or the day. These five foolish virgins return after trying to buy oil. And they says, let us in, please. Let us in. Let us in. You see, up until that very last moment, they still thought they had enough time. They thought that they had what was needed to attend this wedding. But when they returned, they found out that the, the door was shut. And Jesus says again, I do not know you. You say, well, Bill, what's the the real difference between these ten virgins? That Jesus wanted his listeners and us to understand. The five foolish virgins, they had no oil. Now, oil in the Bible represents the new birth. It represents the Holy Spirit. You see, you can't go out and buy a conversion experience by being good and and being moral. You can't go out and buy a conversion experience by hanging around associating with other Christians. The Bible says you must be born again. And that's by the Holy Spirit. You see, having been invited is not enough. Having good moral character is not enough. Having a good intention is not enough. Associating with other believers is not enough. And having a profession of faith without a born-again experience is not enough either. It's just not enough. Now, it says, but Bill, wait a minute. They all got up and they, they trimmed their lamps. Well, what about that? Yeah, they did. Even the foolish virgins had light for a time. In the Bible, the wick in this particular scripture represents religion. You see, religion is okay. It's good for a little while, I guess. But it won't get you to heaven. See, a wick can burn for a little while without oil. But eventually what happens is that the lamp goes out. In Second Peter 3, nine. This is what it says. It said, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient towards you, not wishing for any of you, His chosen ones, to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, the purpose of a parable, in any parable, is to find yourself within the story. And the purpose of that is so that when you understand the story, that you have a correct Response. These five foolish virgins would have been the perfect candidate had they only come. They would have been the perfect candidate. And so this morning, if you've put off 
and you procrastinated coming to Christ, God has already been patient with you. My heart is that you would come to him before it's too late. Don't be foolish with your life. Maybe if you're here and you're just religious and you've not truly repented and you're not born again. So you say, well, Bill, what does that mean to, to repent and be truly born again? If you're asking that question, you probably haven't been. It's that time where Christ comes to you and he reveals to you the seriousness of your sin and he offers to you his goodness in place of that. And you understand that, listen, God, I've sinned against the holy God and you're the only one that's my hope and that's my Savior that can help me. And your life is forever changed. Don't be foolish into thinking that your goodness will get you into heaven. Why don't you exchange your goodness for God's grace for those that who are born again, who've had that experience with the Holy Spirit. You have that oil. There's evidence of that oil in your life. My question to you this morning, are you grateful? Are you grateful that that God loves you enough to to open up your eyes and open up your heart so you would see your condition and you would, would respond in the right way? Are you grateful? Do you live your life with excitement and expectation of Christ's sure return? And when other people see you, do they see you as a light? Do they draw, are you other people drawn to your life and your lifestyle? Do they see something in you that's different from what the world says and what the world has to offer? You say, well, Bill, I don't like you making me question or doubt my salvation. I'm going to tell you something. There are people who believe that. That we shouldn't, as pastors, that we, we shouldn't do that. I'm going to tell you, that's a lie straight from the devil and from the gates of hell. Because the Bible teaches us that, that we need to examine ourselves to see if we really are of the faith. And if you are, God bless you. You know the assurance that I'm talking about. But if you're not sure, if you're sitting here today, you may have been in church all your life. You may have even walked an aisle, said the sinner's prayer, done all that. But if you haven't been born again, God, I urge you, come see me, come see Steve, come see Mark. Let us help you today. We only imagine that, that little amount of time on earth, and it's really not long. Don't be foolish, and don't waste it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, for your word that's true. And Lord, there's an urgency, Lord, in my heart for people who are lost. Particularly those who are lost and they don't even know it. God, I know that the probability that there is someone in earshot of my voice this morning. That they really don't know you. They've trusted in their religion. They haven't trusted you as Redeemer. And so, Holy Spirit of God, would you quicken their heart? God, would you reveal to them, Lord, that they desperately need you. That time is short and eternity is long. But God, you love them. You love them so much that you sent your son Jesus to pay that price for that new life. And God, we thank you for your word that's always true. Despite the last days. 
And so, God, we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.